the reason why I say it was tough was because there were people that did understand that I looked different. And it was a bit difficult because people had their opinions and they like to voice those opinions. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Their families came from India to the U.S. just a few decades ago, and they've made a life for themselves farming raspberries and blueberries here in the Pacific Northwest. This week on the podcast, I talk with Jeevan Brar and Paul Sanga, both young berry farmers who grew up in my neighborhood doing the same farming that my family was doing, but with an entirely different cultural backstory. Well, at least in some ways, as you'll hear in our conversation, although our heritage is from opposite sides of the globe, our immigrant families, mine from the Netherlands, theirs from India, share so many things in common. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Thanks for joining me on this continuing journey to hear the real personal stories of farmers in Washington state that we call the Real Food, Real People podcast, again with Jeevan Brar and Paul Sanga today. When did you first like think of yourself as a farmer? Have you always thought of yourself that because you grew up Ooh, like me um, with your dad farming? Right, right. Yeah, almost just down the road from you. Right. Um, no, I've I've always considered myself a farmer. Definitely. Um, you know, I'll probably probably not politically right, but I was a farmer at like five year old for sure. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, because I was on you name the tractor, you name the <laughs> piece of equipment. I was on it, of course, just having fun at that time, but still working. So no, I've uh, been a farmer my entire life. I've been involved in agriculture my entire life. And uh, I think it had a, it had a big part in just kind of continuing on through grade school and everything and going into everything, just uh, simply watching my dad and how big of a part it was for him. And you know, it, it summed up being the foundation of our entire family. And uh, for me, after dad kind of later in, went into retirement, um, you know, we do other things outside of farming now, but that's one thing we've never let go because it's just such a big part of, you know, the, the pillar that we stand on and will help provide everything we do. I've been a farmer definitely entire life. What about you, Jeevan? When did you start, like, thinking of yourself as that because you've kind of always been into it too right the same thing basically my entire life uh grew up on a farm day one just you know anything i could do help out hang out you know i just wanted to be out there with my dad and uh that was the biggest thing right just have that connection with him and uh you know just since day one and then now i i really got into it after high school i got more and more involved into it and uh up, up till now i'm I consider myself more of a farmer now than I was back yeah, then. So. Yeah. Now you're going to school, right, to continue in agriculture to do even more yes, stuff in, right? That's right. So I'm going to school to get a degree, and then my goal is to become an agronomist, a crop advisor. That would be my goal. What about you, Paul? What What's your What did you do after high? I mean, we we're we're I think same class, like 2001. Did yeah. You, did you graduate yeah. high school? Yeah, 2002. So yeah. Oh, two. So yeah. you're you're younger right than after me. you. What uh, did what did you do after high school? Well, I fell right uh, right after high school. I continued education, but I fell just headfirst right into our family business. Um, at that point, we dad had started 
are the first, you know, the, well, sorry, not the first, but the first Indian American, I guess, East Indian uh, mm -hmm. processing plant, mm -hmm. raspberries. And that quickly just enveloped me and my older sister, um, really led us into kind of understanding what the business behind agriculture is. And we got a good understanding of that. You know, we were at that point sitting on about dad was farming or we as a family were farming close to 250 acres at that time too. And so it was a big undertaking. Yeah. And um, I remember dad kind of told us, hey, you know, all hands on deck right now because we all need to be involved in this. And we definitely were. And so I just, yeah, I went uh, head first into that and just never looked back. And it just, it developed into just something bigger and bigger that kept growing. And I remember being, you know, even when I was 12, but definitely after high school and going to school and everything, I remember sitting in conference rooms with big buyers of big products. You know, I yeah. remember sitting one time with the guys that do uh, Kellogg and, you know, the oh, companies wow. that do yeah. that. and Big breakfast cereal. Breakfast cereal guys and, you know, Kroger and these guys. And now now you think of them and you think, oh, it's probably just a easy way to meet. But then you're you're driving, you know, hours and hours and sitting in a pickup truck and going to meet with them and I, it was uh, it was a definite learning experience. What does it take to grow amazing blueberries? Since you guys are really, I mean, I, I guess Jeevan still does some some raspberries, so we could talk about raspberries too. But what what makes for incredible blueberries? Want me to take this one, or you want to take? Uh, this one? <laughs> um, I think I think it has to do with our area where, where we live, um, our environment um, takes our farmers, including myself, and you know. Whatcom County farmers, uh, everyone's committed, you know, they're passionate. And I feel like, you know, that, that drive, you know, gives us a better product overall. I, I completely agree. Um, my, my main focus to answer that question would just be the passion part. It takes passion. If you are not passionate, if there's something about taking a baby plant of anything and planting it in the ground and raising that thing, you know, like a baby of your own, and having it produce and getting excited about what it's producing and the quality that's coming out. If you don't have that passion from within, then you won't get the quality. And it goes to show about this area, the quality that comes out of here is because of the passion that people have. And again, I get, I get to visit a lot of different growers and a lot of different products. They're all passionate about what they have. You know, they'll, they'll walk up and down their fields and everything, and they know every inch of their ground and what is going on with their ground and they're taking care of their product. You know, of course, everybody can, Jeevan's got a lot of wisdom. I actually call my, I call Jeevan myself, you know, when I've got questions on any sort of uh, uh, programs that we need to be applying. Mm -hmm. But if, if he didn't have the passion, he wouldn't really be able to tell me. Yeah. And a lot of people can just give their local agronomist a call and know what to do and put on. And you show up once a week or once a month to do that. But the guys that are there every day, which is what I see around here, that's what gets us the quality that we have. Steven, how did you learn all that stuff? Um, like, because you're still in school to yeah. be an agronomist, but you're already doing I, a lot of this, really. So that that passion he's talking about, right? Like that's been there since day one. Um, just going to the farm with my dad, picking up on things he's doing, picking up on things that we talk to our agronomist about, you know, and just being in it. You know, driving through a farm in a pickup in a nice pickup truck, you know, with the windows down. Um, just, you know, doing a lap around the farm. It's not farming. You gotta, the best thing for a farm is a farmer's footsteps, right? Until yep. you get out there and you walk the farm and you experience that, that's the best, right? And then, 
And that's where that comes from, right? That's what makes our berries so good, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and for me, right? Like I'm still, I'm a college student, but you know, just cause I spend eight hours a day at college, it doesn't mean I, you know, I come home, I have to go, you know, walk around the farm. I can't just come home and start <laughs> studying, <laughs> you know? That reminds me even back to high school and how, you know, summertime, you guys all had the same experience that I did too, oh, yeah. growing yeah. up in this community and uh, with family farms, you all grew up on family berry farms like I did. Right. Like summertime is like, that's not a time to slow down or go on vacation. No. No, no. That's just, <laughs> Who goes yeah. on vacation? In the, especially in July, if you're in raspberries, a little bit later in blueberries. Oh, boy, I don't, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've never had a summer. <laughs> in, a, in, in those terms, I've never really had a summer. I know, right? But like, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I know it's, it was so weird. Like, I feel like elementary and like middle school were kind of confusing for me. It was like, I'd hear all my classmates, they'd come and be like, Oh, I just got back from Hawaii or I just got back from like Alaska fishing or something like that. And I'm like, you do that in summer? (laughs) You guys don't pick berries? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Every single day. I mean, during the season we're what 16 plus hours, you know, and it's not, it doesn't just end when you start picking and turn the picker off or the harvester turns off. You just don't go home. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the process of waking up the next morning and having everything ready and it's 5 a.m. And then you're, you know, midnight for us, especially for the, anything we do at the plant now, you know, and anyone else, I know a lot of people around here that run their plants, they live there, yep. you know, and you're sleeping on the couch there sometimes oh, and yeah. doing a lot of those nights. But uh, it it's part of, I guess it's part of what it is. It's part of the industry. And that's where the, again, I say the word passion, if you're not passionate about it. It's hard to do it. It's like, it's like, it's hard to like picture like a billionaire farmer. You know what I mean? And like some magazine. Cause it's just like, everybody is just, you're doing it cause you're passionate, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the biggest driving factor. Do you ever stop and think this is crazy? I wish I could go to Hawaii <laughs> in the summertime. I need to do something different. I think every other day. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, uh, you think you definitely think that you think, oh man. Yeah. And I think that comes with any job. Uh, my sisters have moved on and they've in uh, my si- older sister lives in Seattle and she's be- been in between LA and Seattle, you know, and she works the eight to fives and does really well for herself, but she has the same thoughts. But, um, when we, and she grew up on a farm and she has that background. So she has that work ethic where she sticks to it. And w- we talk kind of like what you're mentioning now. And I always think like, man, do you, do you think it'd be different if dad had just done like an eight to five? And then we'd just gone to school and done our eight to fives and everything. And he goes, yeah, but then I don't think we would have been happy at all. And, you know, I'm talking to my wife now too. And my wife, her background is any, isn't anything in farming. So she kind of had to learn on the fly when, mm-hmm. when we got married. And uh, she definitely understands too that the happiness and joy that it brings to do this. You know, of course you get to go to Hawaii during the winter time. You can go, I guess you have to find, you know, we only, we have to find selective areas that are warm in the winter. Cause that's when we seem to have time, but yeah, exactly. It, the, the happiness you find while you're out there is like being in Hawaii all in itself. You know, when you're out there, not every day is all Hawaii. Sometimes, you know, it's a little stressful too, but yeah. y- you have your good times too. So talk, you guys are, what's the relation? Your cousins? We're cousins. Yep. Talk about the family background, because I'm thinking about this. You say, you know, a lot of this has to do with how you're raised and your dad and growing up around him. Same with you, Jeevan. Yes. And not just your dad, but your uncles and the larger family. 
same with my background, with my you know Dutch heritage, people coming here, you folks also coming from India, that goes back generations of farming too, right? Yes, farming yeah. even back in the home country, same with my Dutch family. Oh, yeah. I, you, you wonder how much that is just in the blood. Right? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, we're both uh, sons of immigrants, immigrant mm-hmm. parents. Um, when dad first came here, dad got started a small little 10 acre raspberry farm. And soon after when, uh, mom, Jeevan is my mom's brother's son. That's okay. how we're related. Okay. And, uh, soon after when my uncle Jeevan's dad came here and they, it was kind of a partnership without ever being an actual partnership, yeah. you know, because what you do is you, you work with family and you help family and that's priority. So culturally background in India you know, your proof and how you prove yourself there too is your your land, how you work your land and how you provide for your family, you know, and oh, um, you're, you're an honest day's work. That's mm-hmm. the way to sum it up. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely traveled here with them and they knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they were good at. They knew that they could farm. They knew they could learn. And that's definitely what dad and our, our entire larger scale family did. And they, luckily there were no... Uh, I guess iPhones or iPads and things back then, and they didn't have time to let themselves get distracted with anything, you know? Yeah, so they yeah. definitely did put their head down and just kept working and grew and grew from there. Yeah. But the family's been a big part. Family's been, we're still to this point, you know, they've got, even guys are 500 acres, you know, at this point, And we still, it's almost like a partnership without ever being on paper. But, you know, for us, it's the family isn't just directly us. The family is everybody, and that includes even um, far away aunts and uncles. You know, when they're here, they're they're helping out, or we're traveling other places to help them and make sure they succeed uh, again. And uh, that comes back from this area and where we grew up. You know, there's a mentality out here, just like you're mentioning. You know, completely different background back in the day, uh, generations ago, but still, yeah. we have that help each other mentality. <clears throat> what? Help each other mentality. We're real farmers, real family. Right? Real mm-hmm. family farmers. Mm-hmm. What made your families decide to come here of all places that they could have gone? And why why into fruit farming, raspberry and now blueberry farming too? I mean, what, what was the background in India? What were If there's farming background in your family, what kinds of things were they farming there? There they were farming rice, wheat, corn, you know potato a lot of yeah. potato but in india the the scale isn't as big right there's yeah. more five ten acre farmers and that's big right mm-hmm. everything was done by hand um you know you, you think wheat corn potatoes you think oh there's thousand acre farms out there but in india it's you got five ten acre guys you have the 20 acre guys and then 30 acre guys there's not very many big farms out there but but with the equipment there is out there 30 acre farm out there is pretty big yeah you know a lot of stuff to do by hand yeah, probably. Yeah. And I think when dad came here, just before he came was the first time they bought a tractor. Mm-hmm. Only been here for 35 plus years. And they had just bought a tractor before he was leaving then. And I think it was like in, in the entire village or villages where they live there and they have everything. That was like the second tractor anyone had ever even bought there. So when you talk about hand labor for everything, that was Oof. intensely hand labor. And they were doing the whole, you know, they had... um Oh, mahal, but no, I, the, the chisel plow, plow, the chisel plows, yeah, the mm-hmm. chisel plows were actually on any of the bulls or anything that they had, and that's how they were plowing. Yeah, you and know? like 
a horse or a you know bulls usually back then or I don't know not a full on bull but what the like hell an ox right like an ox yeah like an ox it's like my grandpa like you know his dad passed when he was eight mm. you know my grandpa was born nineteen twenty five and uh, <clears throat> you know he's been farming since you know basically eight years old and uh, plowing when he was you know in his teenage years you know he's telling me he's like he used to plow with a single bottom plow you know and pl- plowing an acre with a single bottom plow adds up to eight acres and having to walk eight acres up and down that's a lot Ooh. of ground you know a lot of steps yeah he racked up a lot of stuff on his fitbit i'm sure yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only those people had and such he, had a thing, linked, he had it linked to his iphone and yeah, everything yeah. so he could see it instantly right imagine away. imagine so. with those past generations and i think about back in my family too and some of the things that they did just to be able to succeed and how hard they worked if that was tracked with a Fitbit, how bad it would put us us to shame. Oh, jeez. No kidding. I don't think we'd be doing anything better <laughs> no. compared to that. I don't think I walk half that in a day. <laughs> no way. They, the reason why for dad, uh, dad's older brother was here in the U.S. And why come to America? I mean, because it, you know, it might sound cliche, okay, but it's the truth too. This is the greatest country in the world. And we've been able, we've been able to live it in uh, business, agriculture, any type of aspect as immigrants. And mm-hmm. we've seen that that's true. And that's what dad guys saw too. They saw an opportunity and uh, they saw an opportunity and they came and worked hard and took advantage of that opportunity. And you know they were lucky to be able to do that. Was there some kind of connection though in this region that brought them here specifically? I mean, cause you really could choose a lot of places to go to. True. true. Um, my dad's older brother lived here. Okay. He was here originally. So he, hmm. dad's older brother, um, moved to the U S he, uh, went to school here Okay. and schooling. And then after school, he stayed here and moved up to Canada, lived there, came back and started farming then on this side of the border. And I think, again, that was probably just because the cost difference between Canada and then was still pretty relevant then too. So, uh, he far- started farming on this side and slowly my um, you know, started having his family come and that's when dad decided to come too. And they worked together for a little bit and then dad bought his own 10 acre when he started, at least his own 10 acres. How much does, you, you talk about your family background and your cultural background, how much does that play into your farming now? Quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, I mean, you've mentioned a lot about the family stuff. I think that's a big part of it, right? It is, it is. Yeah, family's definitely a huge part of it. Um, culturally, that's just what, you know, it's you, you mind your business, you do what's right and you work hard. And that's, you, you think about community, you have a sense of community, which kind of relates to the sense of family mm-hmm. and you make sure that not only you are moving up, but the people around you are moving up as well. And as a society, you're able to work together. And those kind of teachings have kind of just always come down generationally. And, you know, dad definitely passed those on to us and, it's been a big part of what I've been able to grow up in Whatcom County here in Linden and going through the school system in Linden. I saw it from everybody too. You know, I was, I think one of three Indian kids I grew up here. Mm. And so majority of my friends weren't Indian and, but still I got to have that same mentality from anyone, you know, a lot of dairy farmers, a lot of berry farmers, and even guys that weren't were wanting to come over to our dairy farms and berry farms to hang out for the weekends. You know, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want to just sit at home inside the Friday city night. <laughs> on a Friday night. You wanted to come over to our place. And so it's almost like that farming connection is stronger than. Oh, very much. Know, yeah. 
yeah. heritage and, and culture and race and all that stuff that, you know, is supposed to divide people. And it's like, no, it's the farming that's oh, bringing that's us together. Oh, that's the glue. That's definitely the glue. Oh, yeah. You know, we come from so many different backgrounds, but what's the one thing we have in common? We, we love the dirt. We, we love the dirt we work on, you know, and that brings us all together. Before Jeevan, you and I had talked a little bit about what was that like growing up? But I probably even more for Paul, you know, only three, you said there were only three Indian kids in school with you at that time. Three or four. Yeah. Yep. And that community had grown so much by the time you were in school. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot more. I mean, there's maybe 15, 20, Mm -hmm. but, but that's also like from, you know, ninth grade to 12th grade, right? From freshman to senior year. But that's like maybe 30 kids, I want to say, but the community has definitely been growing. The the Punjabi community in Whatcom County, it's definitely been growing, especially in Linden. It's yeah. growing and Bellingham. But uh, before, like, when he went to school, you know, only having very few, very very few, few kids, you know. What was that like? It was challenging at times. Um, it was, you know, I I had definitely had great times. I had great friends, you know, still good, mm-hmm. good friends. And um, so I had a lot of support. You know, mm-hmm. I never really had to go through too much of a time where I had to really noticeably know that, I look different, mm-hmm. you know? but uh, the reason why I say it was tough was because there were people that did understand that I looked different, mm-hmm. and it was it was a bit difficult because they people had their opinions. You know, I'll just leave yeah. it at that. People had their opinions, yeah. and they liked to voice those opinions. It was hard to get through those. Uh, but again, uh, I definitely say ninety nine point nine percent of the community when I was going to school here uh, in in my high school days. of the community was more understanding. So they were always willing to stand up and understand. And the glue we talked about just now, the farming glue is what helped me with that. Yeah. People knew that, you know, we're not, we're not any different. We're here putting our head down, doing the same work, Uh, you know, more so than me. I know I I got, I had to see dad kind of go through those things. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of was ready for it and I knew a little bit of what would come. But uh, I, I always kind of thought, hey, dad looked a lot different than everybody. And if dad could do it, then I've got nothing to whine about, you know, and I, I need to be able to get through it. So it, it had its challenges, but this this place, this whole town, city of Linden, this Whatcom County itself has come a long ways yeah. from that time. And, uh, I don't see anything like that anymore. I don't hear about anything or see anything like that anymore here. The reason I ask about school too is because that's when sometimes some of that stuff can be the worst because mm-hmm. kids are brutal. I oh, mean, yes. they don't have filters. They just say <laughs> yeah. terrible things sometimes. Yeah. It helps when you throw a couple of river parties yourself, you know, and then <laughs> everybody fits in. Then. <laughs> that's exactly you know, right. Meet down at the river bar. It, yeah, you know, river bar parties help that, every- that glue gets even, you know, stronger, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What about you, Jeevan? Um, honestly, I... I can relate to everything he said, um, but it was, you know, it's a great community we live in. Um, but yeah, that glue and just bonding with everyone, those Friday nights, those Saturday nights, you know, after a football game, um, that's when, you know, the real bonding happened, right? And uh, that just brought everyone closer. And, you know, I got friends from high school I still talk to now. And yeah, you know, I love it. How big of a role does faith play? And what you guys do and how you approach farming and stuff like that. I know you guys have both been active in temple and whatnot. Uh, for myself, a big role because our faith is based around a uh, sense of community. Mm. And that plays a big role in the farming community as well. 
So it's easy to relate the two. Um, our, you know, faith teaches us that you're no more or no less than anybody else. Everybody's equal. And, um, you know, you look, look to help others as much as you're helping yourself. And so when you take those principles and you apply them to something like farming, you know, we, we grow food, we grow stuff that people eat and it's needed for life. You know, technology can keep getting as crazy as it is. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you still have to eat something. And of course we have our staples and we have commodities and different things, but I like to think that people still want to eat their blueberries and raspberries and strawberries and Marion blackberries, everything. Yeah. So, you know, that helps with, that helps you really wrap your head around why you're doing what you're doing. When mm -hmm. you, you know, my own kids, they love to eat any fruit that's out there and they'll love to eat fruit. And I see a lot of uh, tours, like one thing, and I'm, thankful to be a part of something like this, but oh, Wacom Family Farmers, Safe mm. Family Farming, they set up tours for kids. These kids go out and they get to see firsthand, you know, what, and, and I'm not talking about the kids that get to live on farms. I'm saying kids that come out of the cities mm -hmm. that never would have even understood what a harvester is. Or, you know, they say, we hear John Deere and we all, we think green, you know, <laughs> yeah. we think green and we see that little deer symbol, yeah. right? They hear John Deere and they think of somebody. They're trying to picture someone, yeah, you yeah. know. So who's or like cows lay eggs or something like yeah. that. <laughs> and so it's it's amazing, and that you know that that brings me back to how how faith definitely puts into that because it's a faith in people working together. Mm -hmm. and it, it's a big part of it. And I think there's a certain. I mean, wh whether it's your faith background or mine, there's a certain teaching within both of those traditions about valuing the earth. And where we come from and what we eat and respecting and stewarding that, I guess. Huge. Yeah. That's huge. Um, being a farmer, being passionate about what we do, the stewardship of the land is huge, you know, because that's where we raise our crops. So if we don't take care of that ground, we're not going to have a good crop, you know. So being sustainable and taking care of the ground is going to let us continue to do what we do. You know, God, God gave us a beautiful earth and then he gave us the ability to cultivate ourselves on it. And so, you know, trying to kind of draw a correlation about what you're just saying, mm -hmm. it's, it's our responsibility on how we treat it and what we do. And, you know, I, I do hear a lot about, and I see a lot about um, how sometimes farmers are being blamed for a lot of different things that maybe are hurting the earth. And, you know, that couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, simple, it simply is. I mean, we eat the same product that we grow raw even at some point. And I don't tend to think that farm, farmers are that dumb, you know. So <laughs> it, that it's just simply put is what we do, you know, between our irrigations and our programs that we have in fields, no matter what part of the ag industry you're in, if the land, if you don't treat the land good, the land won't treat you good. And if you're not being, I mean, that's our bread and butter. So if it's, if you're not treating it well and it's not treating you well, then you're not going to survive. So we have really no other choice, you know, just to put it in basic terms, we have no choice, but to keep things at a high quality, you know, and it, it gets a bit irritating sometimes to try to explain that to everybody <laughs> yeah. and say, guys, there's, we just don't even have a different choice. We have to treat it right. You know, we're not. We're not doing anything to harm stuff here. And I think uh, people kind of get carried away with what they assume yeah. without really knowing. 
Yeah, I, I feel that for sure from a lot of conversations I've had with people who it's like, wow, like some of the things that you're accusing me or people I know of, I, I don't think any of us have ever even thought of doing. That's awful. Like, what? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, talking about the growing community of Punjabi folk here and the temple. I was at the Vaisakhi celebration yeah. recently. And that was so cool to see just how huge that community is. And I'm thinking about like, back to that question of why here? Because I think about my community, this community is now known that we have this huge Dutch population. Yeah, there's people from all different backgrounds, but a ton of Dutch people here and a ton of Indian people here. And why is it? And, and for the Dutch community, I think a lot of those people ended up here because the climate was so similar to back home in, in Holland but that's not <clears throat> true for your community, and yet it continues to grow so much here. What, what, what is the reason for your community to grow so much here? Because I think it's so cool, and it's fascinating to see you know, why, some, why people and large groups of people together choose a place to kind of gather around. I feel that it's like you're saying the Dutch community is very big here, and the Indian community is very big. Mm -hmm. when, when Indian people first got here, you know, I feel like there's... There's a lot of Indian people on the other side of the line in Canada. Yeah. And for some family, they want to be closer to their family. Yeah. So a lot of people from California, Seattle, further down south, or even that are coming here from India want to move here because a lot of their families in Canada, you know, yeah, they don't live in Canada, but they live in Linden, which is only five minutes away from Canada. Right. So I feel like that's one reason why there's a lot of Indian folk here. Yeah. I just think about like my ancestors being Dutch. Okay, they, they're used to this kind of weather. But folks coming from India, I could see, would come here and say, this weather sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. It rains all well, the and, time. And they do when they first get here. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what is this? It's so <laughs> what, cold. Why, why would you want to live here? <laughs> this is the Pacific Northwest in itself is kind of one of the, and especially this corner up here, is kind of one of the last areas where you really get just a, a breath of fresh air, you know, and yeah. For all of us that live here, kind of probably understand what I'm saying when I say that is the greenery, yeah. uh, the the soils here, water here, um, the quality of life here. Uh, those things, those those are the draws to this area, and it it shows just from even Seattle people moving from Seattle up north to here. Totally, what they're looking for. Um, so you know, you can definitely look at a place like India and a place like Punjab in India, where you know it's. Uh, heavily populated, um, ground is scarce and water is hard to find. Yeah. And here you can come here and you can really do the same type of work and put the same value into the work and get good results in a better community altogether. So I think all those combinations really come together and make people think, Hey, well, then it helps say I'm this close to Canada and I'm you know, only a few hours outside of a big city. If I need to go to Seattle for any reason or an airport, if I need to fly out anywhere. So it's just a great place. You've got coast and you've got mountainous area, mountainous areas. So you get the best of everything over here. Yeah, and and more and more people keep finding out about that, and it kind of makes you want to say, "Yeah, there's uh, a lot. no, it, it's uh, actually terrible here. Don't yeah. uh, don't <laughs> move here. Hey, you, know, you know, the ring of fire. We kind of sit right in it. So yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> volcanoes, earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. It's all around. It rains all the time. Don't yeah, don't move here. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's growing. It's really growing. What do you think the future is? For farming and like for you guys, especially blueberries and some raspberries and stuff, small fruits. I mean, more and more people are getting into this whole foodie thing and they want to know where their food comes from and they're trying different stuff. 
is it, is it all about food and how much do you think about that and people's eating habits and what people are into as far as food when you think about the future of what you're producing? Yeah, I kind of feel like it's almost going to be back to the future type of thing. You know, it's we early on, it was kind of a lot of small farms with uh, not fruit stands or that would take fruit to the market. And it was a real organic feel to somebody being able to come buy fruit that they know that, hey, you just picked this. This is fresh coming off your field. I see a lot of that kind of coming back. Um, not necessarily the exact same way, uh, a lot more advanced and modernized type of that. But I see, I see a lot of farmers starting to probably get into seeing their product travel down the food chain line further, more than just, hey, I harvested my fruit and here you go. And I'm, I'm just going to sit back and wait for my pay, payment yeah. to come in the mail. You know, that's the way it was in the old days too, right? Right. Like your family got into processing about the same time as mine did. Right. To at least have a hand in that next step rather than just picking the berries, taking them to the dock at the cannery and they took it from there. Yeah. I don't know what, what's grading, you know, I don't even understand that. And, (laughs) and now, now people are getting more and more knowledge about what this is. So I see the, if you look at that and then you look at, uh, again, to bring up Seattle, the closest city. Anyone living in Seattle has grown up there and doesn't understand the farming, but they know that, hey, eating fruits is good for me, fruits and vegetables, and eating food like that is going to be better for me in the long run. They will make the trip down or up to see where is this coming from. And, I, you know, we've been watching so many years such a big growth and something like that, and people want to know even if you go to Costco now, where was this from? I want to know what the history of this pack of fruit is. And I only think that's going to grow more and more. Yeah. And people want more and more knowledge about where their fruit's coming from, where their food's coming from. Yeah. And so for farmers here, the growth of it, I think farming is going to become bigger and bigger here for family mm. farms. Mm. You know, I think commercially, people that are in vast, large commercial business farming, you know, where a big corporation shows up and they own a thousand acres, they'll always do well in business. But locally here, the family farms that have been sustaining for so long are going to continue to keep doing well because- they're going to be able to control that new generation of what they want. Yeah, and kind of like that, like that foodie thing you're talking about. I feel yeah. like consumers they want that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Connection, and, that's and, yeah. and, and enable to you know, and to sustain that connection. That's that's how it's going to grow, mm-hmm. right? Because they'll want to come down and be like, "Hey, where is this coming from? Who's a farmer that grew this?" Right? They want that connection or that package. You're saying that they're going to buy a fruit. They want to see where is it from, who's the grower, how can I connect to this package of fruit. They know it's good for them, and but they want to have that connection, right? You talk about that favoring more, you know, focus back on the smaller family farm kind of idea, yet we hear a lot about the pressures of the economics of that and how you need a certain size just to be able to survive in this day and age. How How is that going to balance out? Yeah, so asterisk to everything I just said <laughs> right there. Um, if it's, uh, everybody wants to know where their food's coming from as long as they can afford to even eat it and you know that directly falls on our industry fruit industry fruit is something that everybody wants to eat us not necessarily has to eat what we know we always want is our potatoes you know and the 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 things that we know are going are to be staples right fortunately blueberries just aren't staples and so affordability the economics of it is a huge huge thing um it's getting really tight for a lot of family farmers not only is pricing structure and 
everything in the industry changing in itself. And that's because the demands are changing by the public, general public, consumer, but even regulations. You know, regulations now are pushing us far into places where if you own 50 acres, you're really only farming 35 of them at this point, you know, the way you need to be. And because say you've got a, we've got a creek on one side and, you know, there's more people watching us watch that creek than there are doing anything else, you know, and, mm. you know, our, our property, again, we happen to have a, a section where the government's got some tower that they're using there and the local government. So there has to be a radius around that to allow mm. access and everything, you know, and so th- those are, those aren't even, those are not even fall into regulations yet. Then it's our food safety, our labor laws, everything that's just coming down on the small farmer. And soon enough, you know, 50 acre guy is now back in the day used to be the five, 10 acre guy. That's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the small farm. Today we own 50 acres. We farm only 50 acres and we are the small farm out here. You know, if someone hears, well, you guys went from 250 to 50, geez. And yeah, no, it's more like, feels like we went from 250 to maybe 15. Know, and if we weren't doing anything else with it, I mean, it wouldn't be much. But there's there's big changes coming up front, and economically, if the if the prices don't go up, um, unfortunately, we have to rely on politics um, for a big part of that. But uh, if if it doesn't change, that's going to lose a lot of family farms out here. If that landscape doesn't change, you touched yeah. on labor. That's a big one, especially oh, yes. in the world of fruit. How has that been for you guys? Are you able to get enough labor? I've heard from a lot of farmers who can't get enough people to come do. I mean, we were joking about harvest season and being, you know, high school kids. Well, not very many high school kids do that anymore. (laughs) Who's going to come and help us, you know, bring these crops in is a big question. Uh, Has that been an issue for you guys? um, For us, we haven't had a issue with labor. You have such a big family. Yeah. So that, that helps a lot. But uh, I, I definitely see that becoming an issue as we continue to grow and get bigger. I mean, our family's going to get bigger, but, you know, <laughs> the the demand for labor is also going to get more and more. And I feel that other farms in our community are going to have to maybe outsource labor from maybe other countries. And that's going to help with the labor demand that we're going to have here in the next maybe 10, 15 years. Like you're saying, like, in order to sustain it, you got to keep getting bigger and bigger, right? And... Uh, when you get bigger and bigger, you're going to need more and more labor, and there's just not enough labor here. No, labor is huge. I think labor is the forefront of what the main issues are that people are having to deal with. We've got, again, going back to our place, we've got 50 acres, so affordability. You know, you really have to watch what you're doing on how much you're paying. I think minimum wage just went to 13 now here. 1350. 1350. <laughs> here. And so, if you're paying 1350, and you're usually having to pay more you know, because you're really trying to entice somebody to come and uh, it's, it, it's hard to get somebody to work that many hours. So now we're something we didn't even used to do in the past. I didn't know it was even existed in farming is like a, a double shift or night shift and day shift. And those didn't even exist back in the day. You did the day and you did the night shift, you know? And yeah. so when you, all those expenses are then leading you into, okay, well, let's, let's think to the future and let's think mechanical harvesting. You know, let, let's get more robots involved and that's what's going to make it cheaper. And that's true. In the long run, it is. But what does that cost? How much of what you're doing did that give up? So you start kind of looking down the ladder of economically and where this leads you to, you know, 50 acres have to be 100 now. Be able to push those costs down and deflate those costs even more. 
and not everybody's being able to sustain that. And on the other end, you're you're having to afford to do all these things. And on the other end, we're still getting this year, we might barely even get on product 50 cents, you know, and you're thinking back to, well, it used to be 50 cents before too. And I know now pennies carry a less value than they did then. <laughs> so, you know, each penny matters a lot more now than it did then too. Not that it didn't then, but it's just a lot harder now. And so not enough people are happy to eat blueberries at higher expense or raspberries or anything. But uh, they're definitely... Well, they cost a lot more now in the store than they did. They do. Back then. They do. But I don't think the translation definitely comes down to the farmer. We still see some of those field price numbers that are the same numbers as when you and I were a kid. That's right. When we were both in high school. You know, and almost almost less, I think. (laughs) Almost less even in some places, you know? Yeah. uh, Farmers, they always write it off to, hey, it always rides that wave. You know, you've got the good five and the bad five years or the good two years and the bad five years. But I don't know. I I think it's kind of... If you watch the graph, the line doesn't really ever peak up to where it used to anymore, you know? So labor, labor. I, if you draw it all back and you really think hard about it and you kind of travel down that tunnel, you relate it all back to, well, what's it costing? And it just costs so much more now. And it, it, we, we need the labor force here. We need a lot more labor force here to help sustain what we're doing. That too, and it's not like any college kid or high school kid wants to be on, on, out on a farm, mm-hmm. you know? Digging in dirt, weeding, walking rows, pruning. You know, I feel like putting I'm, up wires. Putting up wires. Oh. It, mm. It's rain. Hated that. Or, or if it's hot out, it's too hot. Or if it's cold out, you know, I feel like people want to be more inside, working in kind of a, you know, in, in a room and where it's warm. And outside, there's, you know, it's Mother Nature, right? There's no, there's no. I get to turn the heat up, or I get to turn the EC on, right? <laughs> there's a tree at lunchtime that you know you want to sit under just shade. The shade you know? is what you go hunt. No, it's, that's very true. But again, there's, you know, if anybody that's considering, I would say anyone that's considering getting into farming, you know, they, what they should do first is go and work, you know, and really understand putting the wires up, like you mentioned, or any, any, any of the things being on a harvester for 12 hours, you know, go experience that. And if you feel like there, there is going to be this refreshing feeling you get from doing that. And that's, what's going to make you decide whether this is what you want to do or not. You know, every time I do it, it, there's something refreshing about it. And now I get to watch it. I've got two daughters and I get to watch it on in them. You know, they're still, they're having fun like I used to. No one can really see them up on the harvester, of course, you know, but yeah. when, when they are up there, <laughs> they're, they're just, they're loving life, you know? And those are the things that, those are the things that I'm fearful that won't stick around very long, yeah. but I really hope they do. And I, I'm, I'm happy that play, you know, organizations like, Save Family Farming, Walking Family Farmers are doing everything they can to make sure those stay. Those are those are big time. They mean it's a like, lot more. It's like, um, you know, they're my nieces, right? So when I see them out on the farm, it like it reminds me. I was like, oh, that was me, right? It's like, you know, one day I'm gonna have kids, and like they're gonna be up on a harvester like that too, right? You kind of look into the future a yeah. little bit, and then you also think like, okay, wait a minute, berry prices are coming down, yeah. right? Well, what's gonna happen? Like, are my kids? Are is, farm, is farming gonna be around? Or is it not? You know what I mean? Like, like you start thinking, right? Then you never know what the future holds. So, you know, you just take it one harvest at a time and see what happens. Thank you guys so much for opening up and just talking about life and farming and all this stuff that you guys put into it. I think it's it's really cool to hear um, the real stories. Definitely, definitely. And thank you for having us and letting us kind of at least share our experiences a little bit.
This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. It was so much fun for me to get to know Jeevan and Paul a bit better since we've seen each other across the fence and passing on the road so many times, but hadn't actually had the chance to sit down and really connect on a deeper personal level. And that's what we want to keep doing here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. Relink all of us around this region with the people behind our food. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride, for subscribing to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever your favorite outlet is for visiting our website at realfoodrealpeople.org and for following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It may not seem like a big thing, but it helps us a lot to continue the mission of Real Food, Real People when you connect with us in those ways. We'll see you again here next week as our journey continues. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org.